Good morning. Anybody as uncomfortable as I am right now? Should be like, what happened? He's in a tie. Yeah, I got a few. A few of you have been protesting me not wearing a tie for the past 14 years. Every Easter, Pastor, you look so good. I'm like, you're lying. You just want me in a tie every single Sunday. This will make sense at the end of the service. If you're brand new, I do not normally dress this way for Sunday mornings, but there's some purpose behind this. We're going to have a little bit of fun today. We are kicking off our marriage and relationship series. And the reason why we word it that way is we, be, uh, we take four weeks out of 52, just four weeks to kind of pour into marriages, but pour into all relationships, friendships, connections. Uh, we believe God wants to enrich all the relationships in our lives. So if you have your Bible, go to Philippians chapter 2. That's the scripture we're going to read today, Philippians chapter 2. Um, I know Pastor Kevin brought this up, and apparently I'm supposed to address a soft-serve ice cream machine. Um, I was getting messages from people like, the staff's getting soft-serve? I'm like, are we? Uh, I don't know. I'm on vacation. I don't answer messages on vacation, but when I saw soft-serve, I'm like, I might have to answer these here. Uh, I don't know. If somebody was donating a soft-serve machine, that would have been amazing. I will say that's the best part of a cruise if you've never done a cruise. The best part is that every corner of the ship, there is a soft-serve ice cream machine waiting. So you fill your cone. By the time you get to the bottom of your, to the cone itself, there's another soft-serve machine. You just fill the sucker right back up. And I remember just doing that and just filling and filling, filling. And I'm, one time I'm filling it up. All of a sudden, this dude stood next to me in a Speedo. And I looked and I just set the cone down and I walked away. (laughs) Done with ice cream. No, that has nothing to do with anything this morning, by the way. Would you stand for the reading of the word today? By the way, I want to thank you. Uh, Pastor Kevin brought it up last week. Thank you for the way you blessed Dustin and Colette McClellan, almost $6,000, the highest love offering we've ever given toward a couple, ever, uh, since I've been the pastor. And talked to him this week. They are putting a bid in on a building for their new church plant, and you got to be a part of that. And I celebrate that. In uh, about a month, so a month from today, we're going to have Pierce and Megan Davis with us. They've been longstanding missionaries, and we're going to do a love offering for some some work that they're doing. They're going to be pioneering some works in Asia. And so on the 1st of July, we're going to do a love offering for them and just bless them. Scripture says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Jesus, I thank you for this day, for these moments here where we can just come together, look into your word, and let it breathe life into not just marriages, but friendships, connections, work relationships, our neighbor connections. I ask that you would just breathe life, that what would come from us is life, that we wouldn't look to take it, but that we've facilitated everywhere we go and every human connection that we have, that our lives would model and exuberate the kingdom of God. We pray all this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, would you just give someone a high five and say, he doesn't look bad in a tie. (laughs) Be seated, be seated. I feel so constricted up here. 
I grew up in a, in a home that watched a lot of sports. I'm a shocker. Um, I just, it's what connected to me. My dad, it gave me a lot of just connections at school. For me as an introvert, it brought me out of my introvertedness. It taught me leadership, taught me camaraderie, friendship, taught me how to hit people so hard it's not comes out of their nose. I love sports tremendously. That's, how, that's what our defensive coach said. You know you hit somebody hard enough when they get up wiping their nose. And so that was always the goal. Um, what did you learn today in church? Well, um, but I remember part of like growing up at our house is dad kind of teaching me about every sport. I remember 1983, I was eight years old. Dad took me to my first Tigers game. And I remember it well because uh, I've been bitter at my dad since because he caught a home run from Alan Trammell and he caught it and then it slipped out of his hand into this little boy's lap sitting in front of me whose arm was in a sling, had a broken arm. And my dad's like, we're not getting that back. So been bitter at my dad for 40 years now, is that now? 40 years. Um, but when you go to Tiger Games, you buy a program, because in the program, you've got a scorecard. I remember my dad teaching me how to keep score at a ball game, and there's a great way to keep somebody, a little one, just engaged by teaching them how to keep score, to write the names down, pinch hitters, pinch runners, all of that stuff. So keep it score was just kind of a big deal, because it's really a big deal in sports, because in sports, you want to win. I'm a Lions fan. I want to win. Someday, Jesus, give us a win. But this year, 17-0 Super Bowl, I'm just telling you. No amens. Kyle gave me the Lord, Lord have mercy over here. Um, but back in the day, now, this may be a shocker for some generations in the, in the church here. Did you know that before computers existed in bowling alleys, do you know what we had to do? Keep score. And you know how we kept score? We got this see-through piece of thin plastic, and we had a pencil, and we put it on a thing called an overhead. Some of you have no clue what that is. And so it was a light that kind of shone through, so you put it over the light, and that went through this lens, it shot up on the wall, so you can see people keeping score. How many in the room, you know how to keep a bowling score? I am shocked. I'm not shocked that people underneath 40 do not know how to keep a score. But I actually had to learn that in middle school. We did, we had a, a gym class that every like three weeks we'd switch sports. And Mr. Ford took us to a bowling segment for which I love bowling. But when your lanes consist of taped lines on a gym floor and you've got plastic pens and the bowling balls weren't real bowling balls which were good because we were using them as dodgeballs when Mr. Ford wasn't watching uh, but the, there were these hardened like rubberized balls that were hollow that when you went to bowl it it would like bounce all the way down it was just mind-numbingly frustrating but it was the one test I can remember in all my years of taking gym which by the way I always got an A in uh, one time we had to take a test was we had to take a test on how to keep score bowling because when you got a strike you threw the ball down on your first try, knocked the pins down. You put an X, and that meant 10 points plus your next two throws and whatever you get are those next two throws. With a spare, you put a slash, and you get 10 points plus your next throw. And so you just learn how to keep score, and you're like, what does that have to do with marriage and relationships, friendships? I actually think it has everything to do with that, because it seems like in life, we keep invisible scorecards for the people in the world around us, because we live life wanting to see who's winning at life. We do that in social media. Who's winning at life? 
Well, this person's on vacation. Oh, they're winning. These people's kids look all proper, groomed, and well-behaved. They're winning. Look at that person and that filter they put over that picture. They look so good. They're winning. And we get this, this idea in our brain that we have to keep score with the people around us, the people at work, the neighbors, the people that are, we, we are in connection with, and we're constantly keeping the score. Who's up? Who's down? And where are we at in our relationships? And we do that in our marriages. We look and we ask, okay, is he winning or am I winning? Is she winning? Am I winning? And we get this reality in our brains of this unconscious way of keeping score so they can figure out who's truly winning in life. And we started this years ago as kids. Do you remember back in the day at recess when you would pick two captains to pick two teams and everyone would stand against the fence and whoever was picked first was already the winner because you went home And you told mom and dad, guess what? I got picked first. Guess what never happened to me? I was the guy picked last. And with this idea of, okay, who gets Behringer? Isn't that a great thing to hear as a kid? Who gets Behringer? I remember the one time I just hauled off and knocked the snot out of a kid at recess. And the next recess, I got picked first. And then I went home. And you know what I told mom and dad? I won today. What'd you win at? I got picked first. But we do that. At work, we keep score. Who got, who got the, the nod from the boss? Who got the opportunity? Who got the bigger office? Who got uh, the admin? Who got this opportunity? Who got advanced when they should not have gotten advanced? Because I worked there longer and I thought I paid my dues, but somehow they got more opportunities and they are winning. We do that with neighbors. When neighbors pull up, and all of a sudden they've got something that we don't have. I remember the day that I came to work. We were youth pastors up in Midland, Michigan, and we had turned in our white soccer mom van that was nickel and diming us to death. Just, it was falling apart, and my dad is a Ford employee, so we went to a Ford dealership. We found a car, brand new car on the lot for a year. Nobody wanted it. We were ready to take it, and we drove away like, God bless us with it. I remember getting there, and a staff member looked at me and says, why do you have that? I'm like, we, we, we needed a vehicle. We got a, new, we got a toddler and a newborn. We, just, we needed a safer vehicle. And I'm like, well, why is that a bad thing? You shouldn't be able to get that. I'm like, well, why? Because I don't understand why you're able to get something and I can't get something. I, I should be able to get the same thing. I'm like, how old are we? And made the statement that I'm sorry, I just can't be happy for people my age when they're able to have things that I'm not able to have. I'm sorry, I just can't be happy. What are we doing? We're keeping score. We're keeping score. We do that with parenting. That we watch parents on Facebook and we see their kids, we see situations, and then we see our kids tearing things apart. And we're like, we feel like we are losing at parenting because we're seeing something filtered that somebody placed on Facebook. Never mind, you didn't see the amount of pictures going into that one picture that they had to go through. They, got, they posted the one perfect one, but we feel like we're losing because we're comparing ourselves with what we are seeing. We see that around our country. We see that with political parties where we keep score. We look at people, we're like, is that a win or a loss? Did they get a win? When are we going to get a win? But let's be real. When we keep score with people or people of opposing political parties, we don't actually keep score of their wins, do we? We keep score of their losses. Because if we can get them losing, we can feel more like winners. And this is how we do the relationship game. This is how we do the marriage game. 
is we, pl- we predicate this idea of life is based off of winners and losers, and we bring that into our relationships. And so if you're a note taker today, I'm going to talk about winning the game. Who's winning? I want to talk about this and get us in a place where we get into the mindset that we are going after the win in our relationships, the win in our marriage, and not after a personal win. So if you're a note taker, would you write down number one, here's the first game. I win, you lose. If I win, you lose. The only way for me to win is for you to lose. And so we subconsciously look at life, that life is in a limited supply. And so we bring this dichotomy of a zero-sum game into our relationships, and we say something like this. If I don't get mine, then I'm not going to get any. We bring that into marriage. And so I'm going to ask my wife, baby, would you come join me? This is my wife. You've never met my wife. This is my wife. There we go. I don't even get people clapping for me. No, 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 no. I'm doing the illustration. Okay. So, focus here. Eyes here. These are some of our favorite, like, treats. These are... Hold up. She's got some food sensitivities, so we got to find snacks that we both like, that we can both eat. And so we've got these dairy-free Saunders salted caramels. There's Jesus in these caramels. And so, no, 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 just take a second. Now, so what we've got here is we've got caramels, and these are going to represent priorities, freedoms, opportunities, things that are available to the both of us, and so... Are you finished? All right. So what we do is when we have these, when we have these opportunities together, these are opportunities that are meant to be shared. And so what we do is we take our opportunities. What we want to do is begin to take those opportunities and place them in there. We take opportunities and we, no, we take opportunities, one opportunity at, at a time, We take, this is, this is a we thing. I mean, literally, I have five in there, and you have got all. Thank you for leaving me a few. That's wonderful. So we've got these. You've got those. Go sit down. You literally left me two. But you know what? This is reality. Because what the problem is in marriage is we see life with limited supply. And even though you have a shared moment, we are going after the win for the me. And the only way in our brains in this dichotomy to win is if I've got to get all I can for me, and it doesn't matter if the other person gets any for them. As long as I win, I feel like we win. And we get to this place where we have messed our lives up, we've messed our marriages up, because in our brains, for me to win, somebody has to lose. And in the nature of my marriage, for me to win, my spouse has to lose. 
But I would contend that Jesus has given us a different way and a better way in his scriptures. And that's why we read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says this. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy of being, here it is, of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That's what the scripture says. It's, it's being the same mind. It's going after the win for the both of you. But in this world, it seems like that one person has to lord over the other person. And said, Paul is saying, listen, you ought to have a partnership in your friendships, in your relationships, and, more, and specifically in your marriage, there has to be a partnership. But we get into this dichotomy that if, if, I have to, if I'm going to get a win, then I get to get it all for myself. By the way, we planned that. Please don't start judging my wife right now. I get to get it all for me. And then we've got spouses that are left empty, spouses that feel broken because they're, they're playing this game. And Paul says, this is supposed to be a partnership. And now this is where I get people that will contact me. Well, didn't Paul talk about submission? I'm glad you brought up that scripture. Because for so many years, it has been leveraged to gain priority instead of gaining servanthood. The scripture says in Ephesians chapter 5, do I have that scripture, Ephesians 5? It says, look carefully then how you walk, not, not as unwise but as wise, making them best a use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts of thanksgiving, uh, heart giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Who are we supposed to submit to? One another. But you know what? We like to skip to the next scripture because Paul is like, listen, when it comes to relationships, specifically in the body of Christ in the church, we're here to submit to each other. And he goes, now let me give you some examples. And this is where I get men that really like the next three verses. Because then it says, wives, submit to your husbands. And I get men, oh, amen. And women are shaking their head like, what is going on here? But then we don't realize that Paul takes three verses to talk about women submitting to their husbands, but then he takes nine verses to talk about men and the responsibility to love their wives. And what he does is he's actually writing to a city called Ephesus, and that city was different from most cities of that area because in that culture, in that time, it was a very masculine-driven society. But in Ephesus, it was different. It was more a feminine-driven society. Women were the priestess, women were the leadership, uh, women were the prophetesses. It was a lot of a a feminine-driven culture. And so when Paul writes and says, submit to one another, let me give you some examples. He says, ladies, even though you have the power in this part of society, I want you to know it's okay to submit to your husbands. It's okay to lower. You don't have to have authority because he's going to submit to you too. It's a safe place because he's not going to dominate you. And then men... It's okay in this society to love your wives because they're not going to dominate you. The subject of this is not to see who's got more authority over the other. The topic here is full submission one to another, and here's how you do it. Lower your defenses, serve one another, and watch God rise and the enemy be scattered. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's meant to be a partnership. It's meant to be a partnership. This is what God calls you to. 
A godly relationships look like this. It doesn't have to be you or me, but we. That works in friendships, that works in just casual relationships, that works especially in marriage. It doesn't have to be you or me, it's the we. And Paul says we could be like-minded. We can have two different people, two different opinions, two different genders, but on the same page. It can happen. And so Paul says, here's how you do it. Go back to Philippians 2. He says this in verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, or Pastor, what about my needs? It says this, don't ignore your interests, don't ignore your needs, but make sure that when you're thinking about your needs, you're thinking about the needs of other people at the same time. In other words, you don't have to be a doormat in your marriage. You don't have to be a doormat in society. In fact, I tell people, be velvet steel. What does that mean? You brush up against me, you're going to see that I'm soft. You try to run me over, you might get hurt. <laughs> but in this dynamic of I win, you lose, in this dynamic, what ends up happening is this. Is that we have people overpowering people, and we will call it something that psychologists will promote, and they'll talk about, it's called narcissism. If the only way for you to win in your marriage is to diminish or to lower your spouse, I'm here to say you're a narcissist and you need to humble yourself before the Lord and your spouse and ask for forgiveness. That is not a godly model, no matter who is doing the narcissism. It is what it is. Second game, if you win, I lose. There's the second game. Well, if you win, then I've got to lose. And we get into this place where we are trying to look at other people and just say, my needs just don't ever matter. Your needs matter more than mine. And what we end up doing is we have people who are trying to appease people. They're trying to, um, to please people. They're trying to keep the peace at all costs. And I'm here to say, peace at all costs costs too much. Well, well, pastor, if I don't give him what he wants, if I don't give her what we, want, what we want, and what we end up doing is we end up playing a game where we give over our own God agency, the a power within the relationship, and let it, instead of it being shared power, we're tossing all the power in some person's hands, and they get to make all of the calls. That one person gets to dictate the terms and conditions because their needs matter most. This is what psychologists call codependent relationships. I don't know who I am without that person. So I can't do anything to my own detriment because I don't know what I would be without them. Listen, this is how I lived most of my middle school years because I was bullied probably from fourth grade all the way through eighth grade. Bullied nonstop, spit on, beat up. And those same people that did that to me, after school hours, we'd go play football, we'd go play hockey, we'd go do whatever, and I would try to warm up and almost apologize to them for how I was because in my brain, who am I without them? Because if I'm not friends with them, if I don't lower myself and allow myself to be diminished and broken and beat up, then they won't be my friends because I am nothing without them. And we've got so many people allowing personalities to swallow up their own, not recognizing that other people don't have to win for you to win. But we put ourselves in the position that if we lose and other people win, then, then things will be okay. Oh, pastor, you don't, know, you don't know the type of tensions that could start up if I'm not acting this way. But I'm here to say that many of you are dancing around the tensions that were meant to actually build your marriage instead of the thing that you think is going to break your marriage. Embrace the tension leads me to number three. And this is what we're going after here, is that we win. We win. This is what Philippians talking about. 
Well, pastor, for there to be a win, somebody has to lose. No, there doesn't. For you to have a win in your marriage, nobody has to lose. I say this often in premarital counseling. If it's a win for me, it's rarely a win for we. But when it's a win for the we, it's always a win for me. That's what we've been driven after. And I think a gift to marriage is looking for we-win opportunities. Let me give a case in point. Uh, when we moved to Midland, we were eight months pregnant. Ethan was born a month later. And over the next, course of the next couple years, we, we realized we needed a win for the us because I was busy with ministry and was home with two little ones and we needed to find, make a decision. And so uh, uh, something to do with our schedule because I felt disconnected, she felt disconnected, she felt overwhelmed. Uh, I was in a new position, I felt overwhelmed. And I remember on Monday nights, we decided Monday nights was our night out. It was Ann's night to go out with whoever we want, with, with anybody she wanted to walk the mall and not have a single kid hanging on her whatsoever. And it was my night. It was daddy kid night. And by the way, dads, you don't babysit your kids. You spend time with your kids. And so me and the kids would go to Barnes and Noble. They had story hour. They gave snack. They gave crafts. And we would just, and every once in a while we'd be in Barnes and Noble and they'd see mommy walk by in the window. Is that mommy? That wasn't mommy. Couldn't be mommy. She's, you don't see her whatsoever. I thought that was mommy. I promise you that wasn't mommy. It might've been a little lie in that moment. But but we decided something because we wanted to look for not, not, okay, I just had a long day of work. I had a long day of counseling. I need time for myself. And at the same time, she's, she's not demanding, well, I just have to have this. I have to have this. We looked at Mondays, and Monday was a, a moment where we said, we need a we win together. And too often, we're so busy fighting for our personal wins that we have stopped communicating with each, with each other to simply say, where is the we win in this situation? Now, let me tell you this, that a we win is not always 50-50, and it's not always equal. Some of y'all are after so much equality in your marriage that you're, you think that everything has to be equal because there are some seasons of your life where you may, you may need more attention than you realize and vice versa, where your spouse may need more attention where you realize. There are dark moments that I've had in my life that I needed a lot more attention than, than Anne really needed in the moment and then vice versa. Some dark seasons, dark moments that she needed more. And so when you lay down needs and you lay aside your selfishness, it's there where you go into the moment and you ask this, what is better for us? Not what's better for you, what's better for me, it's what's better for us. I remember when I came out of surgery, had my shoulder repaired, I came out of surgery and I just woke up from the anesthesia and Ann leans over and she's like, okay, how are you feeling? I'm like, great. She says, uh, are you doing okay? I'm doing fine. She goes, can you understand me? I said, yes. Yeah. She goes, all right, we're going to have a conversation right now about you and softball. I'm like, oh, and it wasn't that she was against softball. She was against the, the broken bones, the torn rotator cuffs, the, uh, the staph infections and everything else that kept happening. And she wasn't against me having an outlet, but she recognized that the outlets I was choosing was actually hampering our marriage and my parenting. And so when we talked about it, we began to dis discover we need a we-win. Dave needs an outlet, but the outlet was not going to sacrifice the marriage or the family. In fact, when she found me a boxing coach... Um, I needed the outlet. When I started rock climbing, she's the one that found it. Why, why, why do we do things like that? Because in a we-win relationship, in this Philippians 2 style, where we're looking out for the other person without having to diminish who we are, we get to have a partnership. Because healthy marriage is choosing to continue to be in a life-transforming relationship 
that is submitted to Christ and submitted to one another. And that's how we win works. Because when we're submitted to Christ and we learn how to submit to one another, we now see the benefit of the marriage comes when we are submitted, leaning into each other, going after the win. And the we win can always happen because our heart is always pointed toward Jesus and leaning toward our spouse. And true transformation will happen in your friendships and in your marriage when you choose the we win in the life. I'm just going to tell you, if you are a spouse here that you are fighting for a we win, and you're here and you know your spouse is the only one fighting, I'm here to say that you are exhausting your spouse by making them work on this themselves. I've heard, I've heard people say that to their spouses. Well, if you want this, you're going to be the one that has to do it. Anytime you abandon your spouse to attack a marriage situation by themselves, you are setting your marriage up for disaster. We have to be willing to do it together. So, Kathy, I'm going to ask you to join me. You come and just hit the keyboards for me. Today, you're like, well, what do we do from here? Today, I want to call you back to an altar of remembrance. What does that mean? Back in the Old Testament, whenever people met with God, they would build an altar. It's a place of sacrifice, many times a place of death, a brokenness, but a place of celebration and connection. It was a place where they reconciled with God. And when they had a victory, they had something to celebrate, God would tell them, build an altar, an altar of remembrance, because when they built the altar, it brought them back to what God had done and what God had brought together, what God had given them in terms of victory. And so isn't that what we did with marriage? When we got married, didn't we create an altar of remembrance? That once a year, last week, we got to look back. 25-year anniversary, look back at God's faithfulness. But you look back to remember what God had done and what God had brought together. But sometimes we get so busy trying to win for ourselves or we get in codependent relationships that we give the win to somebody else that sometimes we need to look back at that altar of remembrance that we made at that church or at the justice of the peace or, or at that barn. i got to do a barn wedding tonight, so... Wherever your altar of remembrance was made, some of you need to go back and remember why you made those vows and what happened, where you vowed for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. We are doing something so that we win, and sometimes we stray away from that because we started keeping score on other things. And so it's time that some of us here goes back to the altar of remembrance. And we remember why we got married in the first place. Remember what God brought together. When I thought about one of the best types of illustrations that we can do to remind us of the altar of remembrances that we made in our wedding day, I thought one of the best things that we could do is actually have a wedding on a Sunday morning. A legit wedding on a Sunday morning. This is a first for me. I've got a wonderful couple that they came to me and we've gone through a few cancellations of trying to get the right date, right date, and they came and they said, Pastor, maybe we can just get married right after a Sunday morning, just right there in the front when everyone's leaving. I'm like, how about we do one better? Let us be your church family. And we're going to attend your wedding. And so, Rick, would you join me? Today we're going to build their altar of remembrance. And here's my hope today. 
And so for some of you that maybe you're going through some marriage struggles, some marriage problems, is that God would bring you back to your altar. Come on, bud. And maybe even today when they are doing their vows, would you maybe say those vows and whisper those vows to your spouse today? And maybe today can be your new altar of remembrance. Where you look at each other and say, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, we are going to win. I don't need to dominate you to win. You don't need to dominate me, but we're going to win here at the altar of remembrance. And so today, we thank you for joining with us today to be a part of this beautiful time. Today, let's take Rick and Michelle. Let's build them an altar of remembrance. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today in the sight of the Lord to join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony. The Bible calls this beautiful institution marriage, divinely inspired and given by a God who said, it is not good that two, that man should be alone, that I will make a helpmate for him. And that same Lord said, the two shall become one. In the marriage that God gave, he did not give that woman would rule over him, nor that man would trample upon the woman. But God took a bone from his side that she would own and command his love. So today we welcome you to this altar. I'm very proud of you and I love what Jesus has been doing in your life. And I'm excited for this moment. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? Y'all may be seated. Is this a first for anybody else on a Sunday morning? <laughs> Go for it. It's your wedding. Sorry. <laughs> I had to do that because I've been crying. I'm not crying because I'm sad. I'm crying because I'm so happy. I wish we had the time to tell stories this morning of what has brought them here and what Jesus has really done in their lives. We've gone through premarital, premarital counseling. We've talked through things. And now in this last premarital counseling appointment, we're going to bring this thing together. Rick, do you take Michelle to be your lawfully wedded wife from this day forward? I do. Rick, do you promise to be faithful to her in good times and bad, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health for the rest of your life? I do. Do you solemnly pledge before God and these witnesses that you will love, honor, cherish, and cherish her for the remainder of your life? Michelle, do you take Rick to be your lawfully wedded husband? I do. Do you promise to be faithful to him in good times and bad, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health for the rest of your life? I do. Do you solemnly pledge before God and these witnesses that you will love, honor, cher and cherish him for the rest of your life? I do. Those are amazing answers, by the way. Rick, I'm going to ask you to look at your bride and repeat after me. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I, Rick. I, Rick. Take you, Michelle. To be, my wife, to be my wife, to have and to hold, to and to hold from this day forward, this day forward for, better for, worse, for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, richer or poorer in sickness and in health, and and health to, love and to, cherish, to love and to cherish until parted by death. Parted by death. This, is my vow. this is my solemn vow. Would you repeat after me? Yes. In the name of Jesus, I, Michelle, take you, Rick. Take you to be my husband, to 
be my husband. You gotta stop. I can't help it. I'm happy. Because I'm happy. To heaven to hold. To heaven to hold. From this day forward. From this day forward. For better or for worse. For better or for worse. For richer or for poorer. For richer or poorer. In sickness and in health. In sickness and in health. And to love and to cherish. And to love and to cherish. Until parted by death. Until parted by death. This is my solemn vow. This is my solemn vow. You have chosen rings. That I just had a little panic attack about. <laughs> did you lose them? I did not lose them. They're just <laughs> in the deep pocket here. You have chosen rings to be a symbol of your token and your love. And these rings are made with a precious metal which symbolizes the beauty and the value of your commitment. It declares the strength of your loyalty and your faithfulness to one another. And it's a never-ending circle which is God's continuing love for you to show your continuing love for one another. So Rick, take her ring, place it upon her finger, and repeat after me. It's really hot. It's sticky. <laughs> I don't know. I give you this ring to wear. I give you this ring to wear. As a symbol of my abiding love. As a symbol of my abiding love. My undying loyalty. My undying loyalty. My complete confidence. My complete confidence. And my forever covenant. And my forever covenant. It is an outward reminder. It is an outward reminder. Of my inner devotion. You gotta help him out. I told you I'm hot, sweaty, and sticky. Place the ring upon his finger and repeat after me. I give you this ring to wear. I give you this ring to wear. As a symbol of my abiding love. As a symbol of my abiding love. My undying loyalty. My undying loyalty. My complete confidence. My complete confidence. And my forever covenant. And my forever covenant. It is an outward reminder. It is an outward reminder. Of our inner devotion. Of our inner devotion. Would you hold hands? I'm hot too. It's human. (laughs) (laughs) Heavenly Father, I speak blessing upon this union. Today we set up an altar of remembrance that whenever we want to keep score in life, that we'll be brought back to this place to remember what brought us here was the work and the power of Jesus Christ. And the same power that brought us to this place is the same power that will keep us going. The grace that saves us is the grace that carries us. And so today we make an altar of remembrance and say, as for this day, this is their day where they chose to make a covenant with each other and a covenant with you that will serve and honor each other as a we-win partnership. So I speak blessing upon them. I speak it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Now that you have agreed together, Through your vows and pledge your faith to one another by the giving and receiving of rings before God and these witnesses, I pronounce you husband and wife in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. What God has joined together, let no one put asunder. Rick, bro, kiss your bride. Let me present to our church family for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. Lawson. Lord, bring us back to these moments. For marriages in the house today, would you go back to that moment 
and remember your altar of remembrance. David said it this way, when David fell hard, when King David committed sin and just fell away from God hard, David wrote down these words, restore to me the joy of my salvation. In other words, Lord, take me back to the moment where I discovered you. And as a marriage, some of y'all need to sit this afternoon or go for a walk, hold hands, and some of you honestly need to have a moment of repentance where you apologize and ask for forgiveness. Some of you need to just apologize for some of the scorekeeping that's been going on. And some of you need to go back and remember your altar of remembrance. And even one more time, to say vows back to each other. To renew your vows. Maybe it's on a beach. Maybe it's in your backyard. Sitting on your porch together. Sitting on your bed together. And just vow that we're just going to stop keeping score and we're going to be a people that goes after the win for the we because what God has brought together God doesn't want to see separate there's some of you that God wants to bring you back to places with friendships and relationships that he's been wanting to bring you back into that God wants to restore some relationships and some friendships and it begins at the altar so I want to do right now is I want to pray over you I want to pray over your marriages. I want to pray over your relationships. There's some of you here today that your life has been fractured because of some relationships that have absolutely shattered you. And maybe you've had a hard time trusting anybody ever. You won't have close relationships because of hurts that have happened. Maybe it was because of somebody had to win at the expense of your life. Or maybe you have lost friendships because you were driving the wind, feeling like you had to keep grasping, and if you don't get yours, then you'll never get it at all. And I say, in the name of Jesus, we will be a we win church. We're gonna be a Philippians 2 church. That yes, we're gonna consider needs, but we're also gonna make sure that we see other people as just as significant, and we're gonna walk in partnership with one another. Let me pray over you. Holy Spirit, I thank you for this moment here where we get to build a fresh altar of remembrance, but Lord, you can also take us back to our altars. For some of us here in the house, we need to go back to the first time we put our trust in Jesus. Go back to that first time that we said vows to our spouse that seems like we have abandoned them for the sake of our own personal wins. Lord, I pray for just a spirit of repentance in the house where we just lean into who you are and we learn to stop trying to build up our lives for what we think it ought to be and we learn to build our lives in Christ that we would consider people more highly than we consider ourselves that we would learn how to submit to one another and Lord I pray over marriages in the house today that are maybe experiencing a bit of fracture and brokenness There are some, Lord, it seems like the bridge between them both has just crumbled. And Lord, I pray that today would be a brick laid down, ready to rebuild the connection again, if we're willing to return to the altar of remembrance. Lord, I pray for those that are just in just broken trust today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring healing people's hearts and lives. Believing, Lord, that They may not be going back to trusting an individual again, but Lord, I pray that they would begin to see that through you, trust in people can be built back up. That you could bring healing to such a degree, God, where not only have we stopped hurting, but God, that we're actually stronger, we're healthier because of what the, the work that the Spirit of God has done in us. 
And so, Lord, one more time, I do pray over Rick and Michelle, believing that, God, that you're going to do, do an amazing things, Lord. I just pray, speak blessing over them as they're moving to Alabama, that you would just shine upon them, help them to find a, a new church family, Lord, in their new home, their new place. I just pray that you would just enrich their lives. And we speak that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, stand with me if you would.